Hello and welcome to Almanac, the Oxford Middle East podcast. My name is Piotr Schokes and on today's episode, Friedrich Brokhove sits down with three incredible women entrepreneurs from Jordan, Egypt and Palestine. They discuss their journey, what they've learned and the importance of nuance when discussing the circumstances around women in their situation. In the last few years, women's access to education in the Middle East and North Africa has increased rapidly and women are now outperforming men in tertiary education. But unfortunately, this change has not led to representation on the job market. The Middle East and North Africa account for the lowest female labor participation rates, with an average of around 21%. And representation in management also remains low. But entrepreneurship is booming. More and more companies in the Middle East and North Africa are run by women, and an increasing number of startups are established or co-established also by women, though sources don't agree on the exact percentages. In any case, the percentages don't really matter. What matters is that strong and driven women are creating businesses and spaces that reflect the way they would like to see the world. Spaces where women lift each other up, where existing gender norms are challenged, and where women are encouraged to take their place in the public sphere. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with three women who have established their own successful businesses. In 2010, Lena Khalifa from Jordan set up She Fighter, a self-defense academy where women are trained in self-defense techniques to combat violence against women and to increase women's self-confidence. Not only does Lena hold a black belt in Taekwondo and grew She Fighter into a global organization, she also developed herself into a public speaker, addressing audiences across the world. I'm also speaking to Yasmin Majali, the founder of Noor Collective, up to very recently Babyfist Collective, which is an intersectional feminist and political fashion collective based in Palestine. Despite the significant obstacles that they face, Noor, or as it was Babyfist, continues to produce their clothes in the West Bank and Gaza. The third guest on Almanac today is Rania Iman. Rania founded the Egyptian social enterprise Entrepreneur, which trains and supports women who want to establish their own businesses. Entrepreneur has worked with over 50,000 women and generated over 1,000 projects since Rania started in 2015. So the first question that I wanted to ask you is simply, what inspired you to set up your business, Lena? Oh, so I am in martial arts. I started training Taekwondo when I was uh, really young, maybe five, six years old. And I always felt like Taekwondo and I was obsessed about Taekwondo. And I felt that it was an escape for me all the time from life. So every time I had uh, problems at school, even when I was a teenager, for me, the Taekwondo was the best thing that would happen during the day because I would train, I would be happy. I have this adrenaline rush. I have this kind of discipline. And it gave me a lot of confidence and, and boost in, in who I am. And it's like boosting my self-confidence. Of course, later on, I realized all of this. But, you know, growing up, you kind of just do what you like to do. You go to play, you do activities you, you enjoy. It helped me build my self-confidence. It helped me know who I am and uh, also uh, be responsible later on uh, when I built my business. So what happened is I realized when I was early 20s that... Uh, there's not much women in self-defense and martial arts. And then when, when my friend was beaten up one day by her brother and father, I did not know why this happened to her. And they said, you need to stand up for yourself. And she said, women are weak. We cannot stand up for ourselves. And of course, talking to a martial artist, a fighter, women are not weak. <laughs> They're just not trained in martial arts and they, they never use their bodies to, to know how to fight. 
and uh, it's always like it's a patriarchal society where men are mostly the ones that are sent to either military or martial arts so women do not really practice these kind of things so they feel very vulnerable at some point so i i decided that that's it i'm gonna start training them how to stand up for themselves and <laughs> that's how i started amazing thank you how was that for you uh, yasmin to be honest more than anything else when i set out i really wanted a space a space for conversation and more than anything a space for healing it was around the time that i started baby fist was around the time that i was having a really difficult confrontation with a lot of the manifestations of the patriarchy for the first time in my life i think well obviously it had affected me in other ways but i think it was the first time that i had been sobering up to the way that it had manifested itself in my life so for example um a lot of the street harassment a lot of the sort of oppressive gendered practices not i'm not going to say in palestinian culture but in just in general and i was really having a hard time now that i had sobered up to them um i was having a hard time dealing with them and healing from them and i felt like the best way to do this was to have conversations with other people who were also going through similar experiences and to heal from those conversations and from that shared from sharing those experiences and so baby fist first and foremost was more about hosting and fostering a space to be able to do all that and then everything kind of sort of happened naturally afterwards so there was never a point where i set up i set out to start a business from from the beginning it was more of a social space if that makes sense so once you had this idea of making a space because there is a practical element to to starting a business yeah. how did you go about that so there were two aspects of what i was doing i started out buying these like denim these used denim jackets from secondhand shops and um, and i was hand painting them and then selling them and so that was sort of generating income very very slowly and at the same time i was hosting workshops regarding sexual harassment regarding gender based issues and i was hosting those workshops in my living room in my apartment in the middle of ramallah and so i started off doing everything very kind of diy and very soon those practical elements kind of allowed me to have the funds like i sold enough jackets that i could be able to invest in more stock invest in opening a shop eventually and then fusing the two so that shop space when i opened it after selling enough jackets i could open a shop space that would allow me to sell the clothing that we produced and then also operate as a social space and so that was how the i guess the more logistical side of things came to fruition so you sort of rolled into entrepreneurship um was that different for you rania did you have an idea in mind no this is i want to start my own business I believe I will second a lot of what Yasmin just mentioned because when I started the entrepreneurial I had the idea of starting a business but I did not have a solid idea to start a business with but it started with a personal pain that when I used to have another startup I used to have an advertising agency a simple basic typical advertising agency that do work for clients but I found a challenge myself in order to proceed because I felt like I'm the only lady in the room in a lot of meetings and a lot of events happening and then from here i found out like it's not my only problem and my only problem it's the problem of a generation like it's it's not very common in my community back then when i started 5 years back to to have lots of women starting their own business especially if their businesses are not very typical or they have new ideas or they want to start something which is not very um, let's say established or an industry that it doesn't have many women working on especially when it comes for example in Egypt like in tech 
We don't have many women in tech. So it started with the pain of, I started doing workshops, I started doing uh, small events. As Yasmin mentioned, it, it was more what I needed myself. I started with and then things went through from there. It started from basic, very simple, basic workshops to where we are now. Entrepreneurial now, we serve more than 50,000 Egyptian women, different government rates. We try to support them with whatsoever benefits they need. So it started from a personal pain and then with lots and lots of research and the community support itself, we turned to be a business leader where we try to support the women and ourselves in the process. Lina, you said that your business started with your passion for Taekwondo. Uh, then what happened? How did you grow from informally training women to establishing a business? Oh yeah, I mean, it starts always with an idea. Everything starts with an idea. The thing is, a lot of people have ideas, but they never act upon their ideas. They, they neglect their ideas. They neglect their dreams. But what happened with me, I had an idea. I said, I'm going to start, you know, I wanted to solve a problem, uh, violence against women and domestic violence, and also self-confidence in women. I wanted women to be more confident, especially starting in the Middle East. You know, it's a, it's a region where women are mostly oppressed by society. They believe that they cannot do a lot of things men can do, and they're happy living that way. <laughs> so, and maybe they pretend to be happy. I'm not sure. I mean, working with them for like nine years, <laughs> definitely they pretend, some of them, to be happy and comfortable because it's hard to be a fighter in that society. It's hard to say, you know what, I'm going to stand up for myself. Uh, I'm going to take care of myself. Nobody really wants to do that because it's a lot of work, especially if they have kids and, you know, like a lot of kids and they have to take responsibility of all the kids because once a woman wants to be independent in that kind of society it means like she might get some some fights with men in in her family especially so is she willing to do that is she willing does she have work can she finance her can is she independent financially like a lot of questions i mean at the beginning when i started i wanted just to solve a problem but then i realized the problem is way bigger than this. Yeah. It's just, it's just mentally, the, it's the emotionally. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's culture, it's society. But mm -hmm. I started anyway because I was young and I'm like, I'm going to solve the problem. It's okay. <laughs> I started training women self-defense at the basement of my parents' house. I started having first like friends coming to the sessions, two, three, you know, and slowly I started having 10. And then I'm like, I need to take this seriously. I need to turn it into a business like uh, the first self-defense academy school for women in the Middle East, because I search and there is nothing um, for women. And everybody told me like, don't do this. You know, you're going to waste all your investment and money. You know, I've been working like part-time in another company. And then I'm like, I should, you know, take a risk and I should invest all this money. When am I going to invest it? I should, you know, <laughs> invest it now. So I um, found a small space in 2012. And uh, I launched the first uh, She Fighter self-defense studio for women in the Middle East. And that's how I started. Fantastic. Thank you. As you both slowly started sort of building this brand and building these companies, were there any difficulties uh, that you experienced as a woman specifically in terms of funding, legislation, training, etc., or expectations from your, from your environment? Um, how, was that for the, how was that for you, uh, Yasmin? It's difficult, I think, and the, the difficulties that I faced aren't in any way specific to Palestine when you're talking purely from a gendered perspective. The struggles that I endured and 
continue. I mean, this is not like it ever was an issue that I resolved. It's that when you're operating a business or really any kind of initiative, it's inevitable that you're going to be working with others, whether it's like um, manufacturers or graphic designers or so on and so forth. A lot of industries are male dominated. And the issue with that, of course, is that it's way too common that when you're dealing with a male dominated industry and you're dealing with a man specifically that he dismisses you, especially when you're not only woman, you're a younger woman. Did you, did you experience this kind of pushback when you established Chief Fighter? Oh yeah, all the time, even now. <laughs> yeah? All the time. I mean, just, um, just I think if, if you want to start um, a change in any society, uh, of course, depends on the society and how much they accept it. It's, it's hard. It's, uh, that's why you have to be born with that kind of mission. You have to be a fighter. And the, the dream has to kind of hunt you in order for you to do it. Sometimes I would wake up many days. I'm like, why am I even bothering to do this? Even women don't want to change anything. They're happy living that way. They, they live a big lie. They live a big lie because the laws and rules are not, are not with women. It's so frustrating to be continuously dismissed or even being taken, taken advantage of in, in various ways. And so that is one of the struggles that I, I struggled with in the beginning and I continue to struggle with. And of course, it's one of those things where because you're dealing with the struggle, perhaps you didn't really realize it before or you kind of knew that this was an issue. But I think dealing with it firsthand illustrates it to you. And then you're, it even gives you like more fuel. You're like, okay, I'm pushing these conversations about the issues that women face. And while I'm trying to even push those conversations, I'm unearthing more issues that have to do exactly with what I'm doing. So it just gives you more fuel to keep doing what you're doing. And so my biggest thing as a specifically from a gender and like social perspective, putting occupation aside, was just struggling to be taken seriously in male domain industries. We now say occupation aside, but I mean, the fact that you are in Palestine, which remains occupied, must add a layer of difficulty to your experience. So do you feel like there is perhaps an intersectional element to the obstacles you face as a female and a Palestinian entrepreneur? We, had, we were talking about this earlier, that I don't think most people even expect that occupation manifests itself in, in Palestinians' everyday lives, from e-commerce, for example, not being able to operate so many payment gateways that allow people to actually purchase the products that you're making. Because of course, PayPal doesn't operate in Palestine and neither do so many other payment gateways. And so that's just what I call, I kind of came up with the term of like fintech apartheid. It's just another way, another industry that's compliant with apartheid practices. And so that's just one of the many examples of ways that it feels like there's so many layers of oppression kind of weighing down on the shoulders of so many female, sorry, women entrepreneurs in Palestine. Do you prefer the term uh, women entrepreneur? Yeah, I actually don't like the word female. It feels like so scientific. It feels so <laughs> impersonal <laughs> and like sterile. <laughs> yeah. I totally second that also. Uh, I don't like the word of empowering women. I don't like the idea that women are depowered and we're giving oh, them yeah, power. too. Yeah, I hate it. I feel like we're not that desperate. Thing is that we don't have <laughs> access to the resources. We only need some support in order to, to, to get to know the resources, but resources are out there for everyone. 
maybe were facing different challenges or the, the challenges we're facing are a bit more than, than the other general group. At the end of the day, we're all humans. We face the same challenges. I remember the question itself, it stated when it comes to illegalities and, and, and registrations and stuff, everyone faces the same issues. I don't know uh, if it's the same as Yasmin, but in Egypt, we don't have a gender challenge when it comes to the registrations. And uh, it's the same process, nothing will change. But thing is, for example, when it comes to getting access to funds or getting access to investments, here is the thing is, it's in the mindset, it's in the culture. I believe it goes back to the culture and how the past generation, our my, my mother's generation and the generation before were raised, it's like, it's not safe to leave the women out there doing whatsoever they don't know about because we usually get scared of what we don't know. They don't facilitate the process. Now the central bank is working with that. And from the ladies themselves, they don't have the courage. I believe the main challenge that women face in our region, not only in Egypt, they don't have the courage to start whatsoever they want because they're always afraid of failure and what uh, their families and friends will say about them because they're facing the, the personal, the interpersonal challenge of what I'm doing is different and, not, and no one is accepting it. So it's more challenging. It's good that I wouldn't even think about being a female entrepreneur. I only think about myself as an entrepreneur. Because if you think about yourself as a female entrepreneur in, in, uh, in Jordan, you will kind of have a headache every single day. Like, oh, why they're not giving us, you know, like uh, some grants or nothing. It's like, they, the funny thing is you, they treat you equally when it's entrepreneurship and businesses. But then in real life, they don't treat you equally. <laughs> um, Such so, as? Is, you know, like uh, in real life, they don't treat you equally. Like, for example, if you want to join the government or... They're like, oh, there's not much space for women. Or if you want to even like, um, you know, have a voice and speak, you're not really allowed to do that sometimes. Or if you want to seek some kind of position uh, or do a job that a man is doing, you cannot really do that. For Yasmin, I believe it's, she said it's the fuel, but it's, it's not, the, it's the fuel for, for her, but it's not for everyone because she has the courage to do that, but not everyone. So this is basically what entrepreneur tries to do. We try to push those other women who don't have the courage to start in order to like give it a shot, give it a try. Maybe you, it will work. So, so for me, this is the main challenge. Sorry? Okay. Yeah. So how with entrepreneur, what kind of things do you teach the women predominantly who come to entrepreneur with an idea? Okay. So basically, we don't tell them that you're unique or you're special or you're whatsoever. We, we, we do some sort of a reality check. This is the situation and this is where we are. So we're going to cook. We try to give them, as I told you earlier, we try to support the business needs they want in order to be in the same. We try to integrate them in the ecosystem, in the entrepreneurship ecosystem. We take them to events. We don't know women only events. We try to connect them so they can share their experiences, what they learned, their hacks. Even in this network, it's not only women. We try to support women, but we're not exclusive on women because we believe that we have to integrate women, not segregate them from the ecosystem. We're not creating a parallel ecosystem. We're trying to, to some, do some sort of a homogeneous ecosystem where everyone is welcomed, everyone. What we basically do that we give them uh, the business support. We do acceleration and incubation programs. We do tailored programs based on their business needs. We do it for tech and non-tech because there's this vibe uh, and hype around the tech startups, but not 
all women will be able to do tech. We try to make them tech enabled because as Yasmin said, we have in the region many challenges regarding the payments and the money circulation. I believe in Palestine it's way bigger than Egypt, but still we still have this issue. What's really interesting is that in the Middle East, it does seem like a lot more women are getting into yes, exactly in the region. And so what do you think explains this growing percentage? Oh, probably because they have the money. <laughs> you know, starting a business, you need to be financially also at least have uh, some kind of investment or someone to support you. Well, we do have, uh, I'm not also talking like I'm, um, I'm talking about my experience because I started from scratch with no support coming from any men. But usually women who start their businesses, they have some kind of support from their husband or the father or some kind of support coming like financially to start. I mean, I know most of, most of the businesswomen in Jordan that started any kind of initiative or business, the support is, they started like either the husband financially, you know, support them or someone, you know, in the family, which is men most of the times. Uh, I mean, so you're you can, still dependent on men. If you're a woman wanting to establish a business, you still need to have a man in your surroundings saying, exactly. hey, I support you. I'm going to give exactly. you some money. Exactly. So uh, they do that. It's very common in the Middle East because women were uh, at certain age, let's say in their 40s, they're not going to go look for a job. They want to have their own businesses, whether it's like, um, uh, like a restaurant or even like a cooking initiative or even like some kind of app uh, where they help some kind of entrepreneurs or they, it's very common. It's very, very common, but it's too, if you look at the percent, I'm sure they don't have that kind of percent of women starting by themselves from scratch. Probably it's very low, lower than, uh, you know, the American um, definitely, because also if you consider the Middle East also is like UAE, Saudi Arabia, and they're all supported by men um, in that region. I mean, if, I've seen it in my own eyes in Jordan, like most of the entrepreneurs are like uh, financially like dependent on someone, okay. usually men. Basically, I believe it's, it comes out of necessity because lots of women now, they're raising the families. Egypt is one of the very high divorce rate uh, countries. And we have lots of mothers who are actually getting their children into education out of the jobs. And we have a high unemployment rate. So women started to do the basic startup thing or because it's easy for them to, to start a business then to find a job. So lots of them started their businesses out of that because they wanted to pay their debts. They wanted to raise their children properly. So it's more of a necessity. And I believe this could be one of the reasons. Yasmin, do you find yourself in what Rania is saying about the uh, motivations for women to start their own business? My, there's no way to properly know this, of course, but my theory as to why the percentage is higher here in the Middle East is that for two reasons. One, there has just been this ridiculous, ridiculous influx of Euro-American money pouring in to try and quote-unquote empower women in the Middle East because apparently we need more help in their eyes compared to Euro-American women. And so I feel like this ridiculous influx of money and um, investment has definitely given us a push. On the other hand, I do believe that there's so many stereotypes that have been fabricated by, by the global north about Middle Eastern and Muslim women, like the fact that we're so helpless, the fact that we're oppressed, um, so on and so forth, that we've almost had to prove ourselves 
more because like against these stereotypes to try and shatter them on the global stage so to put these two side by side we've had to prove ourselves and shatter these stereotypes that our euro-american counterparts don't have to deal with i don't think you can answer this question without really taking a step back to look at the global framework that affects it i don't just want to talk about the negative sides and the obstacles for women in the Middle East and North Africa to become women entrepreneurs. And so I was wondering, what are the advantages for you personally in establishing your own business? How have you grown as a person? Okay, I was saying that uh, I prefer to classify myself as a social entrepreneur. And I believe the value I see out of me being a social entrepreneur or the added thing that I see the impact day by day. I see the development in the community I'm serving and the amount of facilities and services provided for the community in the past five years and still going and growing. This is something that motivates me, that keeps me going every day and still the question, right? What has it brought to you personally, Lena? Oh yeah, it's, it was a growth journey for me, not just for my business. I feel like I'm totally separated from what I started. I started Chief Fighter for a reason. And then the reason was self-growth and also helping women how to, you know, like how to defend themselves and rise. But at the same time, it was my own self-growth. Uh, when I started Chief Fighter, I did not have a voice to speak or like I was very shy. I thought that speaking is not something I want to do at some point. I'm just gonna, and that's how the society taught me not to speak. Every time I try to speak, they're like, oh, so you have a voice now? Why don't you shut up? But I was raised in a society where they, say, they tell women to shut up because they don't know how to say anything. And imagine, I was a fighter and I am a fighter, but imagine if you hear that phrase, most of your life, <laughs> you're gonna be affected by it at some point. You'll be like, who wants to hear me speak anyway? I have really nothing to add. But then the journey of starting She Fighter helped me discover my voice back. What happened is I, um, I started getting invited to schools at the beginning to speak. And uh, the first time I was like, uh, no, I cannot do it. What am I gonna speak about? I was very nervous. And I even said, you know, I'm going to shake, whatever, you know, all these things. But I said, you know what? I have this fear and I'm going to break it. So I took the step. I went to that school. They had like 500 students. I spoke and everybody was like interacting, happy, laughing. I made them laugh so much. I spoke for like 30 minutes on that stage. And then I thought about it. Like I can affect people faster if I speak. And how is that for you, Yasmin? I don't believe that there's too much of a separation between my work and my personal life. And when I say personal life, I mean my personal emotional development. And so what I realized in establishing Baby Fist and trying to grow it was how I was, I, I couldn't speak up for myself. I had a really difficult time, um, and I'm still struggling with this, how I have a really difficult time demanding respect from people who should be my equals but look down upon me because of my gender also kind of unraveling my because i'm palestinian muslim palestinian although i was raised in the u.s um in a very much racist south i had to undo a lot of internalized whiteness that i had adopted over the years um and so that's been really interesting so running my own my own business has really given me the space 
to kind of step back, to kind of rebuild a new foundation of who I want to be and who I need to be in order to continue growing. So Baby Fist is, is like you said, it's not just a space, it's not just a brand, it's a space for conversation and also sort of your project for your own healing, almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would hope that it, I would like to say that it's a space for healing for more for, than me, yeah. for everyone that's involved, yeah. Yeah. Rania, what about you? Um, what is your, do you have a long-term vision for entrepreneur? I believe my vision is to not have the need of having entrepreneurial. Entrepreneurial, I want it to be like a community support for upscaling, not for starting. I don't like the thing that we're still stuck in the idea of starting and initiating new businesses. My vision, my long-term vision is no um, entrepreneurial would be just uh, a place where it, it support further, you know, not only the early stage women entrepreneurs. I want our, I believe in five years from now, those women entrepreneurs will take the lead and change uh, the norm where entrepreneurial services itself would go beyond. So my vision is not only to do whatever we're doing now, definitely I would love to support more women, but those women we're serving now, I want them to be like the, the base for the years, the, the upcoming years. That would be fantastic. Thank um, you. <laughs> Imagine we were sitting here with people who are policymakers in your respective countries, um, who do have a lot of influence. What would you like to ask them to change in order to lower the barriers for women to become entrepreneurs? Okay, thing is, I don't know if, if it's the right way to phrase it, but stop pointing at women, that they are women and they need further support. This will make things go smooth and better. Because when we keep mentioning that women um, need support this makes them feel like they need the support but thing is if we neutralize and normalize the thing that women are equal and they don't need further support they're not desperate uh, this will solve the issue I don't believe that creating more women uh, focused rules and regulations will solve the thing uh, I believe integrating the, the woman component in each and every rule or regulation would, would facilitate the thing. So it's, it's about being aware of women's needs without constantly being hyper-aware and pointing yeah. it out. Okay, interesting. Exactly. Okay, what about you, uh, Yasmin? Well, to be honest, well, it depends on which policymakers you're talking to. If we're talking about um, PA policymakers or if we're talking about Zionists, I don't know. If I'm sitting in the room, let's just, let's just imagine that it's only PA, I guess if I was even sitting in a room with them, I would just demand that he step, they all step down. <laughs> I can't imagine asking them to change or like to start tackling barriers regarding gender when the entire system in and of itself just needs to be scrapped. Um, so that's one thing, but I guess if we're gonna play, if we're gonna just play a game where like Palestine had its own government, then it would, it would be so many things. I mean, it would be, you need to be tackling education, you'd be, you need to be tackling infrastructure, which, you know, in turn affects access to education, so on and so forth. But I really can't, I can't imagine even answering this question without just acknowledging that one, we're under occupation. So it's hard to answer, to kind of isolate um, this question regarding gender. It is a difficult question in the case of Palestine because, yeah, the reality is that, you know, who is going to be that super um, 
powerful person in the room because the, the PA obviously is so limited in, oh, yeah. in, their, in their power for, for things like this. The last question that I wanted to ask you was regarding COVID-19 because we cannot you know, ignore the impact that it has on literally yeah. every sphere of life. Um, and so a lot of businesses, especially small businesses, are really struggling. And so I wanted to ask you, Yasmin, to start with, how has the coronavirus impacted you and your business um, in Palestine? We can't discuss the effect of COVID-19, of course, without discussing occupation. Um, as if, yeah. um, while the rest of the world is struggling against this global pandemic, we're also breaking underneath the weight of both occupation and the pandemic. Um, so it's, it's almost, it's gotten to a point where it's difficult to ascertain which one is affecting us anymore because it's so, it's so much of both. Too much to handle for one country. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It really is too much to handle. It's, you know, we struggled, of course, with the, the lockdowns and that affected everyone across all spheres of life. But then on top of that, there's the, the effect of occupation, you know, with borders being closed. So for example, right now, there's the Jewish holidays. And because of those holidays, Israel has decided not to close down the country for three weeks. And so when this happens, it's crazy that to quote unquote another country, even though it's not another country because we're occupied, their holidays actually ends up affecting us. So when their borders close, our borders close, for example, we can't ship out orders, we can't import fabric, so on and so forth. And so that's a very clear kind of marriage between occupation and COVID-19. And I just, I guess every aspect of it has been that there's just been no business. Um, we've had, we've of course we've closed to all, um, not just tourists, but even Palestinians who can't return. And so that affects business. And it's really all spheres of life. It's financially, it's socially kind of Palestinians, I think are feeling a lot of added stress or heartbreak underneath all of this weight, particularly this year under the Trump administration. It's really in all spheres of life. And so Rania, you see a lot of women entrepreneurs through Entrepreneur. How do you feel like, what, what impact have you seen on all these entrepreneurs uh, due to the coronavirus? Definitely, I believe lots of businesses uh, were affected big time, especially in the first two, three months of uh, the pandemic. But luckily, Egypt is a very demanding uh, country when it comes to the purchasing power. So lots of businesses flourished and this is very strange in the uh, time of pandemic. Most of the online stores, shops, uh, platforms, actually their profits raised by two and three times in the pandemic because of the purchasing power. People are staying at home, they're terrified of going out, so they do more online shopping. So in some sectors, we've seen development and we've seen huge raise in sales. But on the contrary, other businesses, they were super affected that we had to open our space. We have a premises here. We opened our space for free for startups to operate in because lots of startups, they lost their offices and uh, they had to lay off lots of their employees. So we've seen, we've seen both. We've seen businesses that flourished and we've seen businesses that they are almost uh, shut down. And we try to support as much as we can, but by the end of the day, it's, it's way bigger than entrepreneurial or what entrepreneurial can do. I believe it needs more parties, uh, parties to work on the damages and how to fix it. But from our end, we've seen both. Lots of businesses now are, um, are working together in order to survive. And we've seen the others that actually they, some of them, like they, they shut down operations 
because of the pandemic, especially the food industries, because in Egypt, food, the food industries and food and beverage, they have huge market share. But unfortunately, lots of them, they, they laid off uh, people and they turned off operations. But in the garments and the fashion and those businesses, no, they're operating more than perfect. They were affected, of course, the first two months, but after that, yeah. yeah. And do you feel like, do you feel like the effects on women entrepreneurs have been different than on men entrepreneurs? Or do you think um, the coronavirus is about the same? Yes, I believe so, because of, it's not related to entrepreneurship, but it's more of the gender, the violence against women, because the lockdown have shown very mean and ugly faces of violence and uh, that's coming out of uh, stress and depression. And the victims were women who had to keep working at home, yet taking care of the stressed out families, yet taking care of the business and the children. So they faced the challenge of the COVID twice, actually, because they were responsible of their businesses and of their homes. That is all the questions I had for you guys for today. But I was wondering whether you have any questions like to each other, to me or anything. For me, the subject of women entrepreneurship, I'm always suspicious of. I, um, I normally actually don't take interviews or any kind of events that discuss this subject because I just feel like it's a, tr it's a tricky subject. And Rania really, she, she put it so well earlier. I believe, um, maybe you could repeat it better than I could, but the, by providing a space to support women entrepreneurs, you also want to be sure that you're not creating like a parallel ecosystem. And so I just, it's always so tricky to try and discuss this subject without almost like reinforcing stereotypes, if that makes sense, or like reinforcing dangerous practices. I also hope that we do exactly not that, which is create kind of like a strange exceptionalistic conversation about women entrepreneurs um i really hope that it's quite the opposite that it's more of an honest conversation i also don't want to generalize and make this about you know all women in the middle east because that would be ridiculous let me add something to what you're saying especially yeah. if she's a muslim and if she's a hijabi this mm -hmm. is another whole situation like sometimes people talk to me like i'm an an alien or something they don't believe like where you guys don't point at us we're regular people having regular brains so I totally understand what you're talking about. I, sp I spoke in Prague and uh, in Czech Republic, Prague, and they did not expect someone from the Middle East, a woman that looks like me. They thought I'm going to be completely covered. They, they thought that I don't know how to speak. Um, and they thought that I'm oppressed. But um, I loved how they introduced me on stage because they do have this kind of, yeah, stereotype about Middle Eastern women. They introduced me like, Imagine a woman go, like coming on stage right now speaking and she's going to speak and she's from the Middle East. How do you imagine she looks like? And they left the people audience for like one minute. <laughs> and then I come up on stage. So their eyes were, even older women, you know, in Prague, they're like, they even asked me after that, like, where, well, how come you're different? I said, not everybody's the same. You know, the media is not all the time telling you the truth. So they laughed. They took like my car. They, I even gave them like a self-defense seminar after. And there's like hundreds of people came to join. So it's good. I represent um, a different kind of mindset of uh, or like stereotype about women in the Middle East. 
or even people, there are people who are different. They're not, not everybody is the same. Thank you for listening to this episode of Almanac, the Oxford Middle East podcast. Join us next week when we discuss the language used to talk about the Middle East and the problems related to it. Almanac is a student-run initiative at the Middle East Centre in the University of Oxford. The opinions expressed in the podcast do not in any way represent the official opinions of the University or of the Middle East Centre. It is edited and hosted by myself, Gilda Stokers, with the invaluable aid of Lily Sullivan, Felix Walker, Michael Mimari, Hazar Madah, Max Randall, Frederica Brokhoven, Iman Farah, Rose Johnson. <laughs>